Welcome to the latest edition of Pass the Baton, a podcast to educate agricultural businesses and farmers on how to work through generational transfer of farms. Hi everyone, my name is Tony Catt and welcome to the latest podcast for Pass the Baton. Today we're talking about planning frameworks for succession planning. This, a lot of times, uh, a lot of families find succession planning difficult, but due to the complications, the uh, complexity of the topic at hand, uh, it can feel overwhelming thinking about all the moving parts. There's um, multiple families involved, there's on-farm, off-farm children, um, there's a lot of different and very valuable assets involved both um, operationally and passive. And and sometimes people uh, get to a point where they just go, this is all too hard and and basically can have it all when I die sort of attitude and and hopefully they'll sort it out then. And and ultimately today, what I want to talk about is some, some basic frameworks and planning frameworks that can help um, break that down, um, put it into, I call it more manageable chunks and help you um, get over that that overwhelmed feeling of you know thinking it's all all too hard and it's just too big a problem to deal with. And so just to start that off, I, a lot of times um, the more more immediate problem with uh, families is, and the one that probably a lot of them don't like dealing with because it's a very morbid topic is. Um, the will, or as I've affectionately called it, um, is the dead plan. Now, the dead plan is what happens if the patriarchal matriarch or the mum and dad of the farm who own the majority of the assets or own the assets um, pass away. And what I mean by pass away, in the, even if it just goes from one to the other, and then, or if both of them were to to pass away at the same time, and a lot of people structure, or a lot of people haven't structured a will or re-looked at their will for a long period of time. I, I still come across clients that haven't got a will at all, sadly. And if you die intestate, and while I'm on the topic of dying without a will, and then um, going through what I call the government um, prescribed uh, conditions of, of what that looks like, it's, it can be pretty ugly um, for families to deal with. So having a will first is paramount. Um, secondly, then reviewing the will that you've got is the next step. Now, a lot of times the will that you have um, for farming families, it might you pick it up out of the bottom drawer, you have a read of it, and if it says exactly as you want it to say, as though you would, but you have to assume that you pass away tomorrow. As sad as that sounds, as morbid that is, and it, and it still says what you ever all the assets go to the right family members, um, the farm goes to who the farm needs to go to in the right structure then put it back in the bottom drawer and, and tick it off your list. But if it doesn't say what you want it to say, then it's time to stop and think. And when uh, more often than not, it doesn't say what it, you, you want it to say because things change. Um, people get married, um, new assets are purchased, people change business direction. Um, there are a lot of reasons that, um, that these things change and need to change um, on a regular basis. So it's very important that you review your will probably at least every 12 months if you're in this complicated farming type arrangement. So the dead plan, um, then you need to understand that some of the assets that farming families own move through the will um, and and we'll probably try and get a, we'll get an estate planning lawyer on to talk in more detail about this topic, but some move through the will and and some don't uh, as a lot of farming families own um, a lot of uh, farming land in, in trusts. Uh, and companies, and therefore you need to understand how the different mechanics of those entities work 
should someone pass away. The other thing that needs to be carefully considered in a, in a dead plan is leaving what, what assets do you want to leave to the off-farm children? In, in what um, Are they specific, uh, specific assets or are they just, is it just a lump sum of money or is it anything at all? And also then if you leave farming assets to the, to the on-farm children, what are the prescribed um, rules of that game? By, by that I mean um, if you were to pass it over to the next gen, uh, kids have a right to sell it within 12 months. Um, do, they, do they have a right to sell it in, tw- in, in five years and just take the money and, and uh, do something else? Or do they have to then pass some of those proceeds over to off-farm children? There's various questions that come up around timing and the will needs to be um, fairly prescriptive around these sort of, or a family arrangement needs to be fairly prescriptive to deal with these sort of situations. The last comment that I'll just make around dealing with the dead plan is that in, in formulating this uh, plan can mean that you start to think about where you want assets to go um, and who are the natural owners of certain assets. And that can lead to good conversations to deal with succession planning. And and what I mean also what's what I call best practice is in dealing with a will, I'm a big fan of talking to once you've got a plan together or at least a draft plan, bring in your family and talk about it. My my father passed away unexpectedly at 57 years of age. He uh his will was problematic at best. And once there is a lot of questions that we as children had uh, once dad passed away and once they're gone, they're gone. You can't wake them up and you can't ask them questions. And so it's really important that you have that conversation around what are the intentions of the will, what are the background reasons for the will being structured, how it is. Um, involving all the parties to a will is, is really, in my mind, really uh, important so that you can avoid problems um, down the track. And uh, it can put cracks, if not canyons, in families where they don't need to be. And it's just simply having better communication around what's in there. Some families are afraid to do this um, because they're afraid of the reaction that they might get. My attitude is to that is, let, if we're going to have a fight about it, let's have it now. Um, let's talk about it. Let's get on with it. And let's let's deal with it now. So um, I know not everyone will agree with that, um, uh, but I, I, I've encouraged clients to to have those conversations. So dealt with the dead plan. Um, the wills are all done, um, and and everyone's clear on that. The next big um, structural plan that needs to happen is what we call the living plan. The living plan is broken into four components, and and, and the living plan assumes that uh, mum and dad are going to live from the age whence they first start having this conversation. I don't know in their fifties or sixties. What happens if you live to your 95? What if you live to your 105? Um, and and if I, and I know this firsthand is that some families and some uh, parents just say, well, my dead plan is my living plan. Everyone's just going to have this when I die. And that's just how it's going to be. And as long as that's clearly communicated to the next generation and everybody knows where they stand and the and everyone knows what the implications of that decision are, that's fine. But be crystal clear with the family that the the will is your living plan. In, and if that might happen at 80, it might happen at 90, and it might happen at 105. Whenever you pass away is when the assets and the operational um, pieces of the puzzle are going to move. 
If you want to design a living plan um, in more detail, it's broken up into four components. Um, the, the first component of it, the first domino that normally has to fall is what I call the retirement plan. How are mum and dad going to retire? So how much income do they need? Where's that income going to come from? Um, what assets do they want to hold on to? Um, where do they going to live? Who's going to take care of their aged care? Should they need it um, or when they need it? Whether they're going to, um, whether mum or dad are still going to work in the farm. So those retirement questions to who's going to pay for the caravan and the and the new ute to tow that around Australia, who's going to pay for holidays, uh, should they happen overseas? Those questions are really important. And why I mean that's the first domino to fall is that a lot of, once we get clarity around the retirement plan and what's expected there, then the next dominoes can fall through to what's the next what's the next generation going to plan for, for their lives? Um, because if they have, if, if mum and dad have uncertainty over their retirement and uncertainty around how that's going to look, then that trickles down to the next gen family. So they have no certainty over their plans and, and, and their children either. So the retirement plan takes a bit of effort. It, it takes a lot of thought. It, it's an emotional topic. A lot of people um, don't like feeling like this is you know, getting pushed out of the farm or, um, and, and that's certainly um, not the intention of it, but having a plan, whether it be in five years, 10 years, 12 years, 15 years time is still crucial for everybody to have some clarity around what the picture is and plans change. We've certainly had globally our fair share of unexpected events and families have their fair share of unexpected events, but Having no plan at all um, doesn't really wash with me. You know, having some plan is better than no plan. And and as I said, and reviewing that plan on a regular basis to make sure it's you're either on track or off track is really crucial. So retirement plans typically then morph into conversations around how much money does mum and dad need to live off, as I said earlier. And and then contextually, where does that money come from? Do, do the next gen have to pay mum and dad's amount of money per annum? For how long do they pay it? Do they get paid a lump sum? Uh, what is, do they want to be financially independent of the farm at all? So they're not drawing on the farm. Those sort of questions come up, and um, and there and we'll formulate a retirement plan. Once you've formulated that, my next comment around that retirement plan is is actually sit down with the next gen, including the off farm children and including the in laws, should there be any, and explain it to them all at the same time. I don't like Chinese whispers. I don't like people hearing things at different times because people hear different things from the same conversation. Their interpretations and their lens can be different. Talk about it at the same time, ask questions at the same time, and then everybody has has clarity around what what it is that's um, that's going to happen. So once you've done that, talk about it and uh, and perhaps agree on it from there. The second part of the living plan puzzle is a management plan. Now, I just want to reiterate at this point that all these plans can be happening concurrently. They don't have to happen in a chronological order. They can happen at the same time. But a management plan is around, well, trying to make sure that the next generation have the skills, the training, the knowledge to do the job that's required of them to run the business. That may involve training plans. As I said, it may involve some study. It may involve sending the next gen away to work somewhere else. To, with a view to they come back with a different or a better set of skills, or they might learn off off other farmers, for example. So that management plan is crucial, and that also includes a little bit of a look through the um, the lens at the future about well, 
how are mum and dad, if, uh, you know, for example, stereotypically, I'll, dad, you know, how long do you want to work on the farm? Do you just want to do harvest and seeding, for example? Do you want to work 40 hours a week? Do you want to work 20 hours a week? How do you want to get paid? What are the parameters for that in terms of holidays and all those sort of planning for the future things need to come out in a broad conversation. When these conversations start, a lot of people go use the phrase, and I hear it quite often, oh, Tony, I don't know. <laughs> and and I don't know is okay, and I don't know is acceptable, but I don't know, but I'm going to think about it, um, and I'm going to come back to you with some thoughts is probably the better, the better way of approaching it, because I don't know all the time, um, again, doesn't help formulate a plan. And so make sure you start thinking about these issues. Make sure you start thinking about what your ideal world is going forward in a in an operational and a management sense and who's doing what. What are my role? What's my role? Who's looking after the HR side of the operation? Do they have the skills to do it? Who's looking after the bookkeeping? Who's doing the grain marketing? All those questions come up and and do need answering um, and need a framework for 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 deciding who's who's doing all of those jobs. Third part of the puzzle um, is what I I would define as um, who controls the checkbook, and what I mean by that is it, it's an operational ownership transition. A lot of farming families have the land, uh, which is a major asset, sitting in a uh, either a trust or a bunch of structures as that are different to where the trading entity operates out of. And what I'm talking about here is that is the transition of ownership of the trading entity in, in whatever that sits in a company, a trust, in a, in a partnership. And moving that over what timeframes, over what conditions are you moving the trading entity or the responsibility for the trading entity to the next generation? And that may then look like um, it, it may happen in percentage terms over time. It may happen all at once. And, and the implication of that decision is not just about who controls the day-to-day decisions out on the on the operational side of the farm, but who controls um, the decisions around the money. And to put that into context, if the farm makes $500,000 net profit, who makes the decisions around where that $500,000 goes? Um, do we buy more machinery? Do we put it away in the FMDs for a rainy day, ready to buy more land? So how does that money get allocated? How does that money do we pay off debt? You know, do do we look at decisions like that, and and who is ultimately in charge of those decisions? And and that's a really crucial point where mum and dad then transition that decision making on the the profit or the loss to the next generation, and that needs discussing. That needs um, clear debate around uh, how that works, because a lot of the times the buck's got to stop with someone in the decision making and and that needs clarity about who that is and when that is. The last part of the puzzle in in this living plan arrangement is the, the ownership of the land. And I normally find this is people get too f- ahead of themselves with this part of the plan. They put this um, probably a bit too early in the conversation. A lot of next geners are in a hurry to own the land and control it. But ultimately, I think some of these other parts that I mentioned earlier, these other plans need to be satisfied and dealt with in advance of this. But the land ownership is um, still a crucial part of the puzzle in that then you get control over when you borrow, how you borrow, um, maybe potentially just satisfies um, a little bit of, uh, I suppose, personal worth in that you you then feel like you own something and, and um, that can help 
your succession planning for the next generation after that. But that land ownership um, transition through trusts or through companies uh, and the time frame around when that land ownership moves over and that control needs to be discussed and needs to be form, uh, written down and debated and, and put into a formula. In the, and also, in a sense, what needs to be considered is what happens if things go wrong? So risk management around that ownership needs to be discussed. What happens if someone gets divorced? What happens if someone dies? Um, what happens if, um, you know, around risk management, uh, around other, if we get sued? All those risk management issues around who land, owns land and therefore asset protection, as I would call it, becomes paramount. Um, you know, families sometimes discuss keeping land in bloodlines, such as they might, they're not, um, they want to protect against it, um, disappearing down other family uh, paths. Um, and as brutal as that is, that that's the truth um, that some families bring to the table. So land ownership is a really interesting issue. Um, parents are very protective over land ownership. And and one of the things I see with what delays that land ownership is making sure that the next gen are committed to farming. You know, are they in or not in? Uh, you know, have they just got one foot in and one foot out or are they two feet in? You know, do parents often want to hold on to land for a reasonable amount of time for security over their retirement. They like having that that safety net or that backstop. They might want to own a thousand acres just to make sure that, you know, if anything goes wrong with the share market or the property market or their income stream, that they've got something to fall back on. They might require it to use as collateral for aged care facilities or to pay to get into aged care. There's various reasons why why parents talk about holding on to if not all the land, but some of the land for a period of time or an extended period of time. And again, these are questions um, that come up in conversations. These are debates that need to happen. And people don't have answers all the time. You know, they this is not a quick process. These conversations don't just happen in in a couple of hours and you debate it and it's all done and dusted and you think, right, great, I've done all my planning. I'll just get on with it. These things can take years and they can take they can take multiple conversations and invariably do, and they invariably involve multiple emotional conversations because people's expectations of each other sometimes are way off beam, uh, and people's assumptions of what's going to happen are sometimes way off beam. And um, you know, the, the communication around these plans and deciding what these plans are are really important, and and they need to be written down. and And that's where the other thing that I'm I, I would really encourage people who are listening to this to do is minute your meetings or record your meetings, um, write them down because people have really vague memories. People have poor memories of conversations and trying to go back to a, a succession planning conversation you had six months previous. It's hard to remember what was said. Oh, you know, what did mum say? And, and what did dad say? And ultimately um, they're important conversations. People have really important views um, and they need to be recorded so that you can go back, recap, there were, you know, this is what was agreed or this is what was said. So there's no misunderstandings. There's no he said, she says. And you, f- you, you slowly build this dialogue of events and, and, and plans so that if someone does pass away unexpectedly or, or someone, you know, even dementia is a really interesting issue where that creeps in now that where people um, become ill really quickly. You don't want to be left second guessing of what people's intentions are or wishes were. You want it clearly documented, want it discussed, and you want it in a, in a framework where everyone's on the same page. Um, so make make sure you don't rely on memory for these things. They're the major plans. As I said, living plan, dead plan, um, 
chunking it down into more manageable pieces and not trying to do it all at once means that you will probably move forward in some way sooner rather than later. And you become, a lot of clients who I talked about this then become a little bit unstuck. It helps just concentrate on areas of the succession planning conversation without trying to solve the whole thing at once. Really then helps people take what can be, and I guess in, in a broader sense, very complicated with a lot of moving parts, as I mentioned earlier, into just putting it into a, a simpler framework where they can just put one foot in front of the other. And just the, the final point that I'll make about this, this framework is it takes time. I think that particularly next-gen family members tend to come in and think this, this is a quick process. Um, we just need the document, Tony, just so we all know where we're going. And can we just build this out uh, in a couple of meetings? The real truth of it is it doesn't happen like that. People take time to have these conversations. Um, people need time to digest these conversations. People, some, some farming clients have, have never thought about some of these questions. And they're only dealing with these questions for the very first time um, when we raise them in these meetings. And it's very unfair to expect that some generational farmers um, are just going to come up with a plan um, overnight. And and because they are very emotional, people um, shouldn't be expected to make decisions on the spot. You know, it is really crucial that we give people time and space to uh, ruminate on these and take time because you, you technically really only get one crack at this succession planning um, and, and let's just get it right. And the, the drama, I get it for the next generation is they're, they're sort of in a, between a rock and a hard place. They want to get on with getting on with their lives and, and getting on with their next, their stage of life and saying, we want to grow a, a business or an asset for ourselves so that we look after our wife or our kids. But at the same time, they, they also don't want to look too pushy because they're still very respectful of making sure mum and dad are okay. Mum um, and dad have worked very hard to help pass on a great business to them. And, and therefore they, they get a bit stuck in that no man's land between looking too pushy and, and perhaps being too passive and not wanting to be, um, you know, taken, uh, for, I don't want to say for a ride, but uh, you know, where one year turns into five years and no one's done anything and, and it feels like some, some planning opportunities have been missed. Really be respectful of one another's, uh, perspective on this succession planning, seek external help, if you get stuck and, and that can ho- often bring an unbiased, unemotional context to these conversation, which invariably helps um, a lot of families work their way through it. Thank you for listening today. That framework's really important. Feel free to reach out if you need to discuss it in any more detail and, and make sure that um, you keep having great conversations with one another and, and honest conversations with one other and a lot of good will come from it. Thanks for listening today. 